This is Thrive Perspectives, an ever-growing discussion about the issues and ideas that shape our lives, with your guide, Dr. Matthew Jacoby. Afternoon, Connell. Afternoon, Matt. Gentlemen. We just enjoyed... Here we are. What were they called? Italian donuts or something. Mm, they were... They were good. They were pretty good, mm. actually. Yeah. Mm. We should do this podcast more often. The food's pretty pretty maybe, good around yeah. here. Maybe yeah. you need to buy the coffee from now. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I must admit, I gave Connell a holiday today and I did the coffee run. Yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, maybe I do. Anyway, welcome listeners. Great to have you with us uh, for Thrive Perspectives as we continue our study through the Christian worldview and... Uh, Today we're going to be picking up what sounds like it's going to be quite an interesting and challenging topic as we've had some mm. pre-podcast discussions on human identity and uh, and essentially how that shapes mm. uh, our worldview. L- let's start with Genesis chapter 1 uh, because we're building a, a biblical the, worldview yeah. here and, and look at a biblical view of humanity. I mean, let's start with the basics. Mm. Now, the interesting thing is in Genesis is that all of the creatures that God creates, it says that God created them according to their kinds. But when it comes to human beings, there's a change in the pattern. This is important in uh, Genesis 1 because there's a lot of patterning uh, in the text. And so instead of saying that God created human beings according to their kinds, it says that they were created according to the image of God. That, that's the change there. So, yes. so there's something in, in a biblical worldview, there is something unique that we're not just another animal. We are, you know, we're, we're created of the same stuff, you know, like the whole created from the dust of the earth and all of that. Mm. Um, so we share the same genetic makeup and, you know, same, um, you know, biological stuff and whatever. So well, that's all. It's hard to define what we would be human wouldn't it like if you're going yeah. to try to nail it what are the attributes from yeah. a nat- from a what are the attributes we have as humans compared to the animals i think every single attribute you'd, you'd throw up could be challenged in some way that that's right the animal kingdom <clears throat> possesses in in some scale but i think we all know in instinctively the the gap between a human being yeah. and an animal mm. is just so unimaginably vast and i think yeah. the society would are trying to to at least philosophically close that gap and say we really are just an animal, mm. you know. So that 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 is certainly a, a thing that's out that's there right. in the world now. And there's a push. To, yeah, that's right. Yeah. There's a push to uh, emphasize the similarities between us mm-hmm. and, 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 uh, and and animals. Probably the most common difference that's highlighted um, in just mainstream discussions is language. Is the thing that that uh, that we are described as being, and this is just in mainstream discussion, Mm. we are described as being linguistic animals. Now, uh, animals have communication systems, simple communication Mm. systems. It's the sophistication of our communication systems that is seen as being the biggest distinguishing thing. Every one of us knows that the gap between, if you take any one of the ability to be rational, ability to create, ability to communicate... Yeah. Ability to explore the, in the arts and experience yeah. the arts, the ability to engineer and design stuff is on a scale that is the gap between what any animal can do and what a yeah. human can do is absolutely... That's right. It, so so yeah. that's, that's what you would perhaps describe as a quantitative dis- difference. You know, we have more intelligence and more, you know, things that we see to some extent in yeah. animals, we have so much more. But the question is, is there actually also a qualitative difference? Yeah. Um, An essence. Yeah. Difference. Is there a fundamentally different yeah. uh, essence to human beings? Mm. And according to the Bible, there is. And that's why I point out the, mm. the, the, that 
on the one hand, there, there is a clear sense that we're made of the same stuff, and so there's lots of an, an analogy there. Um, and yet, we are we are different in that we're created in God's image. Now, um, created in in God's image. I mean, if you look at uh, Genesis five verse one, it says about Seth, uh, the son of Adam, that he was created in the image of Adam. You know, and right. and it uses the same language uh, mm-hmm. about you know about Seth that it does when it talks about the creation of the first human beings being, you know. Uh, so chapter five, Genesis, yeah. I'm reading from the ESV version, but it says, and Adam lived 130 years and begat a son in his own likeness after his image and called his name Seth. So in other words, that's a way of saying that he was, it was his child. Right? Yeah. And, yeah. and so, so that's, so initially it's a relational thing. That's interesting. You know, initially it's about the relationship. It's a special relationship. And I think where I want to sort of get to here and, and I'll and I'll set this up from the front is that actually the key defining characteristic, the things the thing that defines our identity actually is that relationship. And and I that's a bit of a cliche. I know, you know, it's our relationship with God that defines our identity. Yeah. I know but I I think it's good to dig into this yes. uh, a little yeah. bit more. Because a relationship isn't just a static state of affairs. A relationship is a dynamic thing, right? Yeah. It's it's so I have a relationship with my so I'm a husband to a wife, right? That's part of my identity. And and I think it's true, you know, in every respect that identity is relational in that we are who we are in relation to other people. You know, I'm a husband, I'm a father, I'm, you know, I'm a son, I'm, and so forth. And all of those relationships are not just fixed, they're dynamic as well. They are fixed because my daughter will be my daughter. It, it, you know, it, yeah. even if I never, ever talk to her again, she's always going to be my daughter. Yeah. And yet we would say, I don't really have a relationship. <laughs> it's not, it sort of ceases to become a, a defining thing about me. When the dynamism of the relationship disappears, yeah, yeah. you know, yeah. it's just this abstract fact, but it mm-hmm. doesn't actually define me in in a continual experiential sense, you know. Yeah. And and actually, you know, we want to get to that experiential sense, like mm-hmm. how can I discover my identity, right? Yeah. Because you know, just to say, well, our I, you know, I mean, the cliches, our identity is in Christ. You know, we get our identity yeah. from God, our relationship with God. But actually, how? Uh, how can I experience that in a sense? How can how can that become a shaping thing in my experience? Well, to answer that, we need to recognise that relationships are dynamic things that they are, and they consist in interaction, right? Interaction, okay. Yeah. And the basic kind of action within that interaction is communication. And so, the more I communicate with my wife. That's the thing that gives dynamism to the. It's not just you know. It's not just being in the same space yeah, or yeah. sharing the same food or going to the same places. Mm-hmm. That's part of it, okay. Yeah. But we would say at the deepest level, it's actually this is where, where the use of language actually comes in. It's 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 our communication with one another yeah. using language interpersonal communication, yeah. um, because. Uh, you know, la- using language is a kind of action. We use language to do things, and in relationships, language is is used in this really profound way. It ties people together to create a sort of un- you know a common experience. You know, we we use language 
to relate and, and share to, concepts, to and share concepts yeah. and to share experiences. Yeah. You know, if I've had a big experience, I want to communicate it with someone. Like, it's, yeah. you know, we have this, I, I, I need to communicate with someone. It's very, you know, I mean, it's when you experience something wonderful, it's almost twice as good when you're with someone, you can communicate and then remember it and reflect back and you use language. And so language is, is key to this interaction that makes relationships dynamic and we're defined by those relationships okay There's so a sense of commonality you share the language you share culture you share think things that you share as well adds that dynamic into the relationship to get because where i'm thinking there is like you know thinking well I, I could sort of see what you're saying there but i'm thinking in terms of like god you know god wants to have a relationship with us but how does that change or impact my identity i'm thinking you know, like what's the outcome of that relationship? There's an experience there that he wants to have with us where, you know, we're in him and, and he's in us. And there's a sense of, there's there's like there's something in us that we don't know, we can't put our finger on that elevates everything, everything that we can do, a creativity and, a, and a ability mm. to reason and ability, every sense, every capability, every functional attribute yeah. within us is so heavily amplified that it's almost where is that where is that coming from it's almost like there's something deep deeper mm. within us that's powering that and when you think about our relationship with god maybe i'm on the wrong tangent here but i'm thinking what is it that god wants with us that relationship he wants us to be in he mm. wants to be in us and he wants us to be yeah let, let's let, let's him. get to that cuz that that's just I think we need to build to that because okay. that to talk about we're in God and God in us and mm-hmm. all right because I want to try and avoid that just being a meaningless cliche. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's yeah, I like totally. to get underneath things and and actually because uh, you know otherwise we go away saying oh you know I'm in God and He's in us and it just becomes yeah. words that don't yeah. uh, are meaningless uh, to us. Yep. Because essentially, if I am defined by my real and and let's let's just. Let's just first of all get a grip on that idea, right? Yep. That we're defined in relationship. Almost everything is defined in its relationship with it. De- you know, to, to, to ask for a definition of anything is basically to ask how it relates to other things. Yeah. Right? Totally. That's a door because it's not the wall and that's, I mean, I'm pointing to the yes, door of the right. studio, yep. you know, um, you know, because it opens and it, it, it has a relationship to the wall, you know, so the door is a door because it, it has a sort of a relationship with respect to everything else, you yeah. know. Yeah. And so everything is in a sense defined mm-hmm. relation. That's, that's very much the case with us. We're, we're defined in relationship with God, in relationship with other people. And, and in relationship to our environment. And so, so there is a sense in which we, we are defined as, you know, we can think about ourselves as a species of animal. So there is that element, you know, we, we belong within our environment and our environment is part of our identity. This is something that, you know, that dimension is something that yep. is emphasized in a stream of philosophy called deep ecology, which uh, wants to locate human identity again in the environment, Nation. you know, that, mm-hmm. that, our, that our environment is part of our identity. And so alienation from our environment is, you know, an alienated mm-hmm. identity. Now, now we would say that's not all there is to it, but there isn't, there, there is actually an element of truth. I like, I always like, in, in these, you know, these streams of thought out there, I always like to identify where they get things right because I like to build bridges from the Christian worldview to, you know, because yep. ultimately we want to have conversations, mm-hmm. you know, yep. with people. Now, the problem with just the, the environment, we're just the animal, right, mm-hmm. is that, you know, we're just another species in this kind of, you know, in this unfolding 
dog eat dog kind of, you know, I mean, it, it doesn't, as you say, Connell, there's this instinctive sense that, that, that we are more. And it's not just selfish. It's like, you know, does a dog think that dogs are the greatest ever mm-hmm. uh, species? No, I think, uh, you know, we are crucial in, in, in some sense within the environment. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there is this innate sense that we're not just that. There's something more about us. Mm-hmm. And I think that's verified through a sense of us all wanting purpose. You know, like we want purpose. Uh, I don't know that animals necessarily want purpose. It's more about survival, whereas we want purpose. Because we could do any one of five things, but we want to pick the thing that's actually yeah. got a sense of purpose. And, um, and and actually that's tied yeah. to the fact that the other unique thing in, in Genesis 1 and 2, mm. the other unique thing about human beings is that we were given a dominion. choice. Oh. We were given dominion, mm. uh, but we were given uh, – but that implies choice, choice right? Yeah. We, we were put in charge, and so that's part of the God – we were created in God's image, and so we rule in God's stead. We exercise God's authority as his regents on earth. But we have a choice as to how we will exercise that. Will we, will we remain in relationship with God or will we not? So the relationship you know, is a willed sort of thing. And so this brings us to the relationship with other people. I, I am the father of my daughter. I will always be whatever, whether I want to or not, okay? Uh, but to in- willingly engage in that relationship and build that relationship, you know, that, that actually, it's the dynamism of that, that that creates that. Now, this is the same when we go at the, with our relationship with God. That is the ultimate defining thing. We are defined uh, because we are created by God. And in, in the highest sense of our humanity is this participating in the divine nature in this sense. And so that's, that is, you know, that that is a, that is a set state of affairs, like being a husband or being a father. And yet, when I interact with God, it's like that identity is sort of activated in a sense. You know, it's actually the interaction with God. So in a sense, we sort of activate our identity in the truest sense when we pray, it, because prayer is a communication with God. And so, um, and relationships are communicate. They consist in communication. And so... Uh, the more we communicate with God, the more we become who we are, mm. in the sense. The more we realize who we are. Yeah. Is there an, another way of talking about it, maybe instead of relationship? Do we make our identity relative to something? So we are who we are being in contrast to who I'm not. Yeah. So if we take God out of the equation, then the comparative framework that I'm going to work in is compared to other animals. Who am I compared to other animals or who am I compared to somebody else? That's you know, right. If I didn't, if there was nobody else and no other animals and I was completely alone in the universe, would my identity almost collapse because I'd have no sense of of who I am because there isn't anything relative to who yeah. I am. It wouldn't make, you know, you know what I mean? Yeah, and well, it, if, if there was just you and God, you would because there's, there's a relational. Well, it's who I am then. Instead of, instead of being who I am relative to the animals, it's who I am re- or to other people. It's then who I am relative to God. But consider what happens. And, and I think you, the point that you make is a really good one. Because when we, when we draw our identity from our relationship with God, then we all have that, right? So what that emphasizes is our commonality. Like this, yeah. we, we share a common humanity, okay? Mm-hmm. Because, you know, we, we all draw our identity from the same source. And, and it still validates individuality because we're all, you know, we all have different attributes. But what that means then is that our identity comes 
from what we have in common rather than what we have different between us. Okay. Now, if, if I get rid of the God aspect, mm-hmm. the God relationship, right, and I cut myself off from that, which is what human beings do, mm-hmm. then in order to have a sense of identity, yeah. then actually my identity then is going to be formed in my contrast to you because just me being mm-hmm. the same as you doesn't give me any sense yeah. of any sense of identity. So it then becomes a comparative thing. And so I, I then start to locate my identity in my attributes, right? Because this is how ostensibly we differ from each other is mm-hmm. that we all have different gifts and attributes and so forth. Okay. So then, um, so straight away, th- and this is, this is history, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Like it is. once we, once we cut ourselves off from God, then no longer are we defining ourselves uh, in relationship to God as the children of God and so of one family. And, sh- and and so the most fundamental aspect of our identity is no longer what we have in common. Uh, once you cut that out, then suddenly my identity is how I differ from you. Yeah. Yeah. Now, now, it could be even a tribal thing because I think we, we, we still have this inclina- very, very strong inclination towards uh, community you know, co-unity, this sense of I, I want to have something in common with other people because innately we, we desire that because yeah. we, actually we do. We're all children of God, right? Mm-hmm. And so what you then get is tribalism, but tribalism works again by contrast. Yeah. We're this tribe, not that tribe, and we're better, and we're and and even today, of course, you get tribalism. You know, yeah, absolutely. This yeah. is we're, yeah. we're this, and we're not yeah. that, yeah. and. Yeah. And, and so you get this constant comparison thing. And this is where human endeavor, to, endeavor for identity is all about me comparing myself to you. Mm-hmm. You know, so yeah. if I see my identity in terms of my attributes, then if you have similar attributes, but you're actually better, <laughs> those things, yeah. then I'm going to feel really insecure about my identity because I feel diminished in the light of you, right? Yeah. Now, if, if, however, our relationship is in, in God, and so the most fundamental thing is that we're all children of God, then difference becomes a matter of celebration because mm-hmm. it's only relatively important. It's not ultimately yeah. important, yeah. our attributes, because I don't define myself by my attributes. Instead, I see my attributes as a way of feeding into the common life. The collective. The yeah. collective, yep. you know. Yep. Uh, so, so I become, and, and I think this is a correct way of understanding human humanity is not as isolated individuals. This is where we've gotten to, right? Where we understand our identity as autonomous individual units, you know. Whereas, in fact, God created us to be something more like a relational network. And, uh, and you certainly see that throughout Scripture, human beings are very much treated as interconnected. And yet the result of the fall is a fragmentation of that connectedness. Mm-hmm. You know, it culminates in Genesis chapter 11 and, the, and, and human beings say, let's all, you know, let's get together to make a name for ourselves mm-hmm. uh, in the independence from God. But what happens is that they, the result of that, because again, everyone's trying to make a name for themselves. And if I do that comparatively, then, and so, you know, ultimately that's broken up into lots of little units and everyone has their own language and their own tribe and their own identity. And once one kingdom against another and got human history. So, so I think when we look at it that way, we take God out of the picture, our whole identity is built up. What's either looking down at the animals and placing ourselves at the top of the animal kingdom. And then, but strongest one is going to be that sort of sideways comparison 
through the commonality of human experience and yeah. we, we compare ourselves to that. Yeah. And so the importance of actually being, um, having a, an identity that, that we think means something is being better. We yeah. have to be better than the other people that we're mm. comparing to. And so, yeah. you know, to, to not be in that situation, our, our identity starts to collapse and we start to feel far less valued in, in who we are mm. as a person. But I think when you bring God into it, you're actually looking up to your identity, yeah. which is a dimension that you don't have. That's right. And yeah. so if you're looking up to the, then not, then the sideways comparison is less important. Is less important. Mm. It's the identity that's actually given to us, handed down that's right. from above us. And that, when you think about it in terms of commonality, that enables us to actually have a share in it, a commonality yeah. without actually worrying about comparing ourselves to each other but take god out of the picture that's right you have to compare yourself because because if that's all you've got there's nothing else there is no yeah. other identity to, to work to. that's right mm. and so in in order to gain an Id identity when i when i've cut myself from any you know so i'm no longer receiving a sense of identity from god so what happens then is that i i need to actually achieve an identity mm -hmm. it's something that i achieve right I define myself essentially. <clears throat> I define myself. You know, I say who I am, and and uh, and I express who I am through the realization of desires that I have. For example, you know, so, and it's only as I can realize those desires that I sort of fulfill my identity. You know, the, so in a sense, what we do it, because cutting ourselves off from God and losing that sense of derived identity creates a what I'd call an identity vacuum again okay, straight so straight away we need to have a sense of self and where I fit you know mm -hmm. and and naturally we then try to be noticed and and affirmed and and you know we're trying to get validation from other people and so then we have to achieve that and essentially what we then build is that we build an identity and that identity becomes a kind of alter in the Freudian yeah. sense, sort of alter ego, you know, it's like yeah. this, or in another way to put it, it's like this sort of dissociative identity, you know, it's, you know, we spin this thing and so we live through this, this false yeah. self, mm -hmm. essentially, yeah. and we've lost any sense of who we really are, yeah. and so we... We create this false sense through a network of comparisons, mm -hmm. right? You know, getting val validated by this, and I'm achieving this, and I'm, you know, and and so we, you know, we create this who a little bit like you know in in a dissociative identity disorder, which is a psychological disorder, where people to cope with major traumas, for example, they they dissociate from the. the let's say it's the, the child that's yeah. been you yeah. know yeah. abused, or and and so they kind of repress that identity and, and you know kind of wear something over the top yeah so it's as though that never happened you know mm -hmm. that was it was like almost like that was someone else mm -hmm. you know yeah. and and it, there's a sense in which you know a, a lot of psychological disorders are in, in some ways we all suffer from them all in yeah. in some sense mm -hmm. you know because i don't believe there's anything more traumatic than us cutting ourselves off from god i mm -hmm. mean you know, the most deeply spiritually traumatic thing is rebellion against God. And so naturally to deal with the pain of that conflict and the loss, the trauma of the loss of that, you know, we have to compensate and, and we, we do this dissociative thing. I think, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's essentially what sin does. You know, it's the creation of a false self, a false yeah. me. Well, we're born in, 
in sin. <coughs> so really from, from day one, yeah. we're building a, that false sense of who we are. Sin's going to be driving us from that, that point on. I mean, it's that all the things that we've talked about, of, the, of all the things that are actually driving us from our <coughs> sin nature yeah. is all to build that that identity yeah. in that in that context. And that's why it's so critical that we get back to God because the only way, it's not just a matter of just the relationship, restoring a relationship, it's restoring who we are. It's restoring yeah. our whole whole identity. And, right. it, and if we if we miss that, yeah. that path back to God, mm. what is our identity? It's going to be false. Yeah, that's right. Even that, just just to make a comment on, you, you made the comment, you know, we're born in sin. Yeah. It's interesting because a lot of people, you know, struggle with that idea, partly because they individualize it uh, too much. Yeah. What, what Basically, when we say that, yeah. theologically, that means if you imagine, you know, human beings as a sort of network, you know, this, this connected network uh, of selves, mm-hmm. you know, necessarily connected with each other, right? We're created to be one human family. Now, when we cut ourselves off from God, th- there's a sense in which there was a we. I mean, you know, Paul says in Romans chapter 5, you know, that uh, sin entered the world through one man, right? Mm-hmm. And so he says, everyone sinned when Adam sinned. It's like, what? Hang on, what? You mean, I, I, but I didn't do that. Well, in a sense, because there was this original sense of interconnectedness, mm-hmm. everyone sort of did. And, and so in a sense, when you're, it's like, if I ruin my family and we, we, let's say we didn't have the safety nets and we, we then started living in poverty and then I had children, those children would be born into that poverty. Yeah. And mm-hmm. in a lot of parts of the world, it's very difficult to get out of that poverty, yeah. right? So, so there's a sense, and this is what we mean when we say that children are born in sin, mm. we're not saying that they are bad the moment. It's they've like been, you look at a little baby yeah, and there's, there's, there's genuinely there's a sense of innocence. Yeah. Now, yeah. now we know actually that I mean, even in in recent work in in psychology is uh, you know verified the fact that you know we're born with dispositions that are inherited across generations, right? Mm-hmm. We 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 have inherited tendencies, trauma, and and various things like that can be inherited actually, mm-hmm. and so so there's that. Okay, so there's yeah. and and it's not that that's the child's fault, but there's this there's this fallenness yeah. that they're you know born into. Plus, they're born into a fallen network. You know the family. I mean, I mean the parents <laughs> right. who are shaping them are broken. That's right. And yeah. so so inevitably, I guess life is about finding in the midst of that yep. is about redemption, is about that being connected with God and recovering. It's it's a recovery. This is, a, you know, life is about recovering our identity by being reconciled to God and, and finding that. And, and if we don't do that, then we fall into this endless, exhausting, and I'll, and I and I emphasize exhausting process mm-hmm. of desperately trying to find some sense of identity. Because I sometimes ask the question: There are people that get so wealthy, but they keep going; they can't stop a quiet, you know, mm-hmm. and they never really said. It's like why, right? Yeah. Why is there never enough? Because there's always someone richer. Right? There's always, and if if it's comparative, you never rest in a sense of oh, I I'm happy with the way that I am. I mean, I know people, you know. So, oh no, I'm just happy with the way that I am. And but are we really? I mean, you know, not. not I don't think without. Uh, a, I think the only way we can truly be happy with how we are is, you know, in relationship with God. Yeah. 
and and even then, I mean, that's going to be there's a sense of imperfection to that. Yeah. But the, but if if who we are is found in that relationship with God, then that's something uh, that is not just about how I differ from you anymore, and and I, I actually then can celebrate our common humanity and mm. recognize that and celebrate our differences. Mm-hmm. Um, that's. I think the key. Could, could I suggest that I think also you say people are desperately looking to find their identity. Yeah. I actually think for people outside of a relationship with God are actually looking to create yeah. their identity, yeah, yeah. not to find their real identity, but to make the identity that they'd like themselves oh, right. to be yeah, that's good. Yeah. based yeah. on who they see yeah. around them, that whole comparative yeah. thing again. Yeah. And I want to be like that person. Yeah. So then they go all out, you know, to have the bigger car or the bigger house yeah. or the travel the most or whatever it yeah. might be that's actually shaping their identity. And I don't yeah. think we all necessarily are conscious of that. I mean, some people no, that's right. really worry about identity. You know, mm. they think about it all the time. Mm. And then on the other side of the scale, the, the bigger, oh, I don't really, I'm happy with who I am. I just want to, you know, happy with mm. my life. I'll just sort of cruise on through. And, and then there's those that are kind of, yeah, look, I'm dissatisfied with who I'm not so much trying to define. I don't, I'm not conscious of trying to define my identity, but I'm also, I don't, I don't feel myself worth in my identity. You know, it's, yeah, I push back on that a little. I think, I think everyone maybe thinks that they're not too concerned about their identity until something that they didn't realize actually strongly shapes their identity for them. Like I can remember when, um, uh, when I was going to have to shut down a business that I'd worked for with a whole heap of staff And I didn't think my security or self-worth or my identity was tied up in my role running this organization. But, man, suddenly I felt like I don't know who I am. Have I, you know, it it brought into question my identity, that whole sense of I might not have a job and I'm the provider for my family. And Mm. things that I would never have, if anyone had asked me when times were going great, I would have gone, no, I'm I'm fine. It's not until it's taken that Mm. you suddenly realize, actually, man, I've got my self-worth and security and significance tied up in yeah, all the wrong things, mm. and, and that's what I was kind of meaning. Even though I think people aren't necessarily pondering the identity question consciously every day, and I think some people are, but not everybody is. But somewhere inside, it's deeper than a conscious it, it's thing. It's not a daily struggle thing that, but it it plays out. But I think that's because we layer what we want to be our identity over the top of those feelings of who am I really? You know, kind of. I think we just, yeah, we know we we. Well, I think it drives a lot of the reason, totally. things that we strive for. Yeah, totally. The striving. Yep. It doesn't matter yeah. who you are, you're still striving for things. You're still mm, yeah. trying to main, con- maintain control. Mm. You're, tr- you're still working hard to maintain... To be in control. ...something in your life. And that, that all connects back in to identity. So there is a continual uh, process, at, you know, because it's not... In, in the same way as in the truest sense... Our identity with God is something that we live out through this constant process of relating to God. You know, it's something that becomes a matter of immediate experience. Yeah. And I'm constantly validated in God's love. And uh, Brian Rosner, who's the principal of at um, Ridley College, uh, wrote a book on human identity. And his the thesis of the book is that our identity comes from being known by God. Is this sense that? As I as I relate to God, that has this mirror effect, you know, that God knows me. He knows who I am. And so there's this sense in which I experience God's knowledge of me as yeah. he fills my heart with his Holy Spirit. I'm actually living in God's knowledge of me, in so a sense. you're contrasting there a false identity, talking about yeah. true identity. Yeah, that's right. There's actually a, a 
true identity that we would define as yeah, that's right. How God sees us, rather yeah. as opposed to yeah. how we see ourselves or what yeah. we've tried to build, or, or even how other people see and, us. Yeah. And, and this is the, and this is where, as constant as that process of of relating to God and and receive, you know, as God communicates continually His love and His knowledge of us, and so that's this perpetual sort of thing. In the same way, in order to that's the true identity. Mm-hmm. In order to maintain the replacement for that when we're cut off from God, that too actually has to be a perpetual thing. It's not enough for me to win a Nobel Prize. You know, I'm only ever going to feel as validated uh, by the last thing that I achieved or the last bit of adulation or the last bit of, you know. And, And so in a sense, that is actually, you know, when the Bible talks about pride, it's talking about this sort of identity creation uh, habit that we have this propensity to mm. to build up something you know yeah. to make a name for ourselves that you know that statement in Genesis chapter 11 is the ultimate statement of pride I'm going to make a name for myself because then you know when you turn over to Genesis chapter 12 God says to Abraham I will make for you a great name in other words a name is very indicative of identity in the biblical context right so when God says I will make for you a great name to Abraham he's saying I'm the one that's going to determine who you are not not you in in, in yeah. that sense yeah. and and that's you know and and that's something that's set but it's also something that that's perpetually um, and so so pride is this process of trying to make an identity or try to make a name for ourselves and I know we might think, oh, but what about people that don't succeed? And, and and I think it's important that we don't define humility as failed pride. Often we confuse f- failed pride with humility and think, oh, they don't have pride. Well, it's just that their pride is, yeah. you know, uh, failed pride is different yeah. to humility. Humility is is almost when we, you know, we become completely transparent reflectors of God. It's it's you know it's it's this recognition of our absolute dependence on God for our identity. That that yeah. I. I I am nothing, actually, without God. So there's a sense in that, then, that it's a journey. Because I think a lot of people, too, would go, well, I'm a Christian, my identity's in God. Yep, I get that. I believe that. Done. I don't think that's quite how it works, because I think if we've got that false identity, we often see that our identity in God is just a new, improved, clean up around the edges, Mm. remove some of the... Yeah. you know, the jagged edges and so on, there's a sense that that's what God's going to do. He's going to just clean it up a bit and, yep. you know, make it a bit better yep. and, and so on. And I don't think we understand the gravity of the... Great point. ...the situation yeah. that we're actually facing. Here. That's right. And I think because that's what we The want. false needs to be demolished completely. Mm. Mm. Yeah. And, and you know, and, and this is the concern that people have, you know, it's like uh, they want to become... Christ, well, or, or they, they, they won't become Christians because, you know, will I have to change or, or there's this, but I don't want to change. And I like this the way is I who am. I am. Yeah. You know, this is just, it's the comments of people say, well, this is just who I am. Mm. And, and, and can I, you know, can I become a Christian and just be who I am? And, and the answer is you don't have to change to come to Jesus. But yep. when you come to Jesus, everything is going to change because mm. it's, it's a death and resurrection experience. What dies, it's the false self that dies mm. and a new self is going to emerge. So the alter ego is going to be dissolved, not all at once, but th- there's this tearing down of this false facade or, or whatever, mm. and it's the recovery of you know the true self uh, underneath that. Th- I think the best 
you know, the best description of this, Connell, that, that you know, is, is in Thomas Merton's book, New Seeds of Contemplation. Mm. He talks a lot about, uh, and that's a book that you and I have shared and enjoyed, he talks a lot about really the Christian journey as the sort of dissolution of the false self and yeah. the re- recovery of the new self. And it's just profound. It is. And, and, you know, I've always believed as a Christian my identity is in God and God's got a, a work to do in me, as I yeah. say, removing the jagged yeah. edges. But I think, yeah, that Thomas Merton book, The New Seeds of Contemplation, yeah. it's almost like the first half of the book, is dedicated toward demolishing yeah. the notion of false yeah. self. And yeah. it, it has a profound – it had a profound impact on me because it made me realize that it's, it's so much more than just getting rid of the jagged edges. Mm. There's a false self and there's a true self. Mm. The true self, I don't even know. You know, it's not. It's almost not revealed. It, I've, I've. It's well, almost it's emerging. It's complete. Yeah. Well, it it starts to emerge when I am reconciled back to God, and yeah. I start to walk that path of salvation, which is really, I yeah. think, the way that Thomas Merton talks about it is, you wouldn't even be able to accept the true self. Because the true self is, is like an existential threat to the false self, yeah. which is to your identity. You actually yeah. still have your false identity. Yeah. Letting go of that is going to come up against everything within you. You're going to fight against that yeah. because you're having your identity yeah. taken away from you. Because there's so much security in that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We're habitually finding security. Yeah, that's right. In that. And, and so, and then, yeah, and thinking back to when I was reading that book, uh, I remember when it, reading it through and I'm looking at, and there's talking about that false identity and talking about the true identity. And it had a really, really shaking, profound effect on me in the understanding of that. And I actually had to put the book down. Mm. And I thought, I'm just going to write down, because it's spread over lots of chapters, because he builds yeah. a very, uh, he takes yeah. a while to build yeah. to build his argument yeah. for it. And it's like, I just want to try to capture it in a way that succinctly yeah. describes it. But I've got it here. I mean, I... It's might, Give it might be us. worth yeah. reading because I actually I did read it um, earlier today and and kind of thought oh actually that does sort of capture I think what he was saying so I'll I'll just read it through we have a false self and a true self our true self is who we really are from God's perspective it's our identity in God our true self is built for the mission God has set for us a false self is rooted in sin driven by self-interest, ego, pride, greed, and jealousy, and an insatiable drive towards pleasure. We're born this way. A false self is fragile and has to be protected, so we build this identity to try and retain control, eliminate threats that may leave it unfulfilled, climbing over others in the process to ensure our self-interest is preserved. A false self is so deceptive that seemingly selfless acts, our pursuit of God, pious talk, religious activity, can often be orchestrated to inflate and feed our false identity. It deceives others, but also ourselves. We don't know our true self. Ultimately, God wants to lead us from our false self to our true self. He needs to reveal our true self within us, but we have to be willing to let go of our false self. But while in our false self, the true self is a threat, letting go of our false self is a journey. We can't just push it aside, but instead have to walk the path of salvation. The process of salvation allows God to slowly peel back your true identity, 
revealing a way of living that is counter everything your false self is seeking. That power struggle will continue until you ultimately become your true identity. False self lives assert themselves against other false selves of the other people around them. Each false self wants what the other false self has, seeing them as a threat. There's always another false self trying to take what you have. There's always another false self that has what you want. But one day we'll be stripped of all the things used to prop up our false identity, a job, a community, our admirers, our wealth, our talents, education, honours bestowed upon us. When we are naked in our false self, we realise our whole identity was a mistake that didn't really exist. We spent all our lives building it up. Is this how the pathway to God is cut off? Our opportunity to become our true identity is lost for eternity. All that is left is the torment of our false identity. And that's the tragedy, isn't it? I yeah. mean, you, you highlight the tragedy because it is a tragedy. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's the human endeavor, uh, like apart from God, creating this thing that's completely so, you know, and it's like we just, you know, it's self-demolition, really. I mean, we create this false thing that, yeah. you know, we, we then have to sort of live with. Well, that's the, yeah. the, the, the thing that hits me with it. It is the tragedy of our false self. Yeah. It's not just a bit of imperfection, some rough edges that need cleaned up. Yeah. It is a tragedy yeah. if we don't deal with false yeah. self. It's such a uh, such a haunting idea that, that he paints there and I and I that's what I found so confronting. Yeah. Mm. I, I you know, I because We've all, to some extent, got to ha- allow God to strip that away, and this is the thing: you actually can't. We can't save ourselves from mm. our false self. It's it's like a cocoon that we weave. We weave it, right? Mm-hmm. But then you're stuck in it. You know, it becomes yeah. like this. It's it's a costume that becomes our straitjacket, right? Mm-hmm. We can't actually emerge from it, and you, we actually need God to break in from the outside, mm-hmm. actually to tear it off us from the outside. And this is the you know, this is the the death experience that Jesus describes. You know, uh, you know, if, if anyone loses their life, they will find it. I mean, he, there's a literal sense to that that he's you know you got to be prepared to give up everything. Uh, but still, it, you know, when he says and and, and there's at a point in Luke's in Luke has records Jesus is saying, unless you give up everything you have, you can't mm. be my disciple. Mm. And the everything you have is you know even even at that time was so associated with identity. You know that I get my identity from what I have, my things, my yep. and and my to status. That's right, yep. and and it feels like to lose that is to lose your life. Mm-hmm. To, you know, it yep. really, you know, to lose everything is to lose my life. Yeah. Um. Uh. And you know, yet he's saying you've got to be prepared to lose it, all of those things that that make up that false yep. identity. It's you've got to be prepared to allow that to get stripped back. I think that's the thing with this. It, it gets through a lot of the cliches. Yeah. You know, the, the things that we say, you know, we've got to be prepared to die to ourselves, you mm-hmm. know, and, and, you know, we're living our lives for Christ and all of those sorts of things. And it's easy to say that. But I think when I look at it in this this context of what false self actually is, mm. it explains all of those concepts mm. in, yep. a, in a way that we're, we're actually completely deceived and deluded yep. in the false self. And, and we can't help it. It's, yeah. it's completely instinctive. It's all that we know. It's our natural inclination. Yeah. And letting go of that is actually going to be incredibly 
difficult mm. journey, I think, yeah. because as I said there, it's an existential, it's basically killing the identity that we've built. We have to let go of all of those things that we thought made that identity valuable and it's yeah. intrinsically linked in, into who we think we are. Yeah. So you, you don't just go, oh, okay, and just hand it over to God. It's actually, it is a journey in the, you know, it's yeah. that peeling back, that's revelation bit by bit. So gradually yeah. the light of the true self starts to. Yeah. There's, to there's, there's a gentleness in the way that God yeah. tears it apart, but, but it's still, it can still be a painful journey. And, uh, you know, and often it's dismantling the things that, that we get our identity from and, and well, or, or at least shaking them so that we realize, you know, what's happening. Mm. I mean, it's, it's, it's terrible in the sense that even the purest of human relationships can become means to an end, you know, like I can want my children to be successful and be good and all that because of the way it reflects on me, you yeah. know, and be really bitterly disappointed in them. Why not? Because it's about them, but actually because of how it reflects on me, you mm-hmm. know, it's, it's terrible. Mm. You know, that's supposed to be. And yet, you know, there's something so wonderful and liberating about letting that false self go and living in this sense of oneness with God because there's a there's a wonderful lightness to that it's mm-hmm. like it's like taking off heavy iron armor you know yeah. that you've worn to maintain the sense of and and the, the lightness of that and yeah. and it also enables us actually to engage and connect with people truly connect mm-hmm. in love mm-hmm. and, you know and and love is the is this sense of kind of reconnecting i mean to talk about children i mean I, like i think the you know purest experience of love that most people have would be love for their children, hopefully you know, yeah. and and there's this sense in which you know like I said when it goes badly you know that that connection with your children means that you can try and through your children's achievements you can actually try to receive your identity through your children's achievements. You know, it's like, yeah. well, I didn't very, but I'll, you know, but I'll drive my children yeah. to achieve and to, and that just becomes a further expression of this whole identity. Or one of the things that happens with that love connection is that the sense in what happens to them happens to me. Now that, as I said, that can go badly because mm-hmm. I can want them to achieve because I feel like I'm achieving when they're achieving. But that connection, that connectedness, was created for something wonderful. And in, in a sense, if that is what love is, that level of connectedness, so that what happens to you, in a sense, happens to me. You know, imagine a humanity connected like that. Mm-hmm. Imagine a humanity yeah. interconnected to this point. And, and this is, I think, what Paul talks about in the body. We're all different parts of the body, and we have this oneness that celebrates the diversity within the mm-hmm. body. You know, yeah. it's, it's not everyone should be this and not everyone should be that. And when one part is hurt, everyone, the whole body, feels it. And and that that I think is a picture of humanity as it should be. Yeah. You know, the body, yeah. uh, that body metaphor actually is a profound expression of redeemed humanity, mm-hmm. with a level of connectedness that makes us really one in one sense. We are one body, mm-hmm. but we still have individuality. Yeah. But in the highest sense, we're one. We're all united with God. We're mm-hmm. we're, we're flowing together as one. And yet we have different giftings and different abilities and we celebrate those, right? So you succeed yeah. and I celebrate your success and your difference uh, from me. You know, I can celebrate that because uh, it's not a threat to me. It's not an existential threat to yes. me anymore. Yeah, that's right. Like, and Thomas Merton, he goes on to actually talk about the true self, what that looks like mm. and paints the picture of 
how counterintuitive it is to everything that's going on inside of us. But, you know, the picture you've just painted there, the only way that can function is if we lose all notion of people watching other people succeed ahead of us yeah. or what we might perceive as rising above us to mm. actually be truly happy mm. for that to happen. Yeah. We just can't derive our identity from striving mm. to be the one that's trying to rise up all the time. Mm. And it's like I think I said earlier, on, like it's almost like identity, why should I care about identity if I'm not thinking about identity on a daily basis? But identity is that striving. It's the thing that makes us strive for certain. If you, I guess if you really look at everything that we strive for, it all comes back to our identity mm. and what it is that we're trying to create yeah. and build for. And, what and are I, we trying to become? And there's nothing yeah. wrong with striving, but if that's the thing that we're striving for, God wants us to strive yeah. to him to deepen yeah. the relationship. Yeah, that's yeah. right. And I would say the striving for many of us, and, and here's a bit of a reality check for my experience and, and all of this is anyway, is that when you say peel back the layers and get to the real identity, I think for a lot of us, certainly for me, there's a lot of what I would consider to be modified behavior because I want to be like another person who I, I like their the way they're compassionate and caring and I'm not naturally that. So there's actually the layer of the modified behavior yeah. before you get to the false identity, before you get to the real identity. And this is where I think like if, if I'm going to base my identity on comparative, mm. there's even more layers because I've actually modified my natural behaviors outside of my I'm not talking about my true identity I'm talking about my my false yes. identity but yeah. the one that is who I am I've modified that for acceptance or to be other people to think that's great I'm actually trying to impress other people mm -hmm. as opposed to actually really coming back to mm. my identity being in Christ or in God who created me in his image mm -hmm. and I think that's a big challenge I, I know lots of Christians who who make the decision and and, and know that they want to change as mm. you said Matt anyone you know don't need to change to come to Jesus but everything is going to change and then give up because it's it's so hard to break down those mm -hmm. those false identities those and those and they start with behaviors often and they just go I, I just can't do this because everything around them all of the culture everyone else they associate with is playing the false identity game, mm -hmm. and it's mm. it's incredibly difficult. And this, yeah. and I think this is where you get people with low self esteem, you know, who who the opposite of us, where we think we're maybe us. When I say us, I don't mean us specifically, <laughs> but most people, where we think we're doing okay. And you know, there's a lot of people who know they're not doing okay, and they really struggle with self esteem because mm. they're comparing themselves, their false identity. To everyone else's false identity, and uh, and and you can, we we can even build a religious false identity, and this yeah, is something that exactly. you know that Merton refers yeah, to. It um and and this is one of the problems that Jesus dealt with, isn't isn't it? In the you know the Pharisees and Sadducees, there was this sense of building this false, and 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 therefore they were not correctable. Yeah, you know they could they had to be they had to be self righteous because we've built this, and we're not going to we can't allow you to undermine this because yeah. that's an existential well, threat. Interestingly. Merton, most of his examples of false identity, yeah. he's actually talking about Christians. He's talking about leaders of churches, building empires and organizations yeah. and structures. Yeah. And, and even those things that have the appearance of godliness and yeah, that's right. a, of rightness 
Yeah, and he's he's concerned about the flip side of that, which is what you're talking about, Stu. When we don't achieve that level of godliness, or we feel hopeless, and we, yeah. you know, we haven't succeeded in living out our faith well, and we, you know, we haven't been a good witness, or we we have moral failures, and mm. and because we habitually associate our identity with our achievements, so then we feel. Oh, I'm such a bad Christian. I'm maybe I'm not even a Christian, yes, right? Exactly you know, right. because because habitually we we think of that in terms of achievement, right? Mm-hmm. So if we don't have the achievement, and and the assumption there is, I've got to build my religious identity. <laughs> I've got to build my Christian identity, and when actually uh, the the process of going to God and saying, God, I'm sorry, I've let you down. Would you please help me? I'm so dependent on you. That's a relational moment. And and God throughout the Bible is saying, I I would rather that, right, than have someone that's achieved all the religious, moral mm-hmm. and mission you know, achievements. I would much rather the person who's a failure that comes and has an honest conversation about it because that's the thing that establishes yeah. the true identity is this sense of dependence on God. Yeah. God, I need you. I cannot do this without you. I'm so sorry. I need your forgiveness. Suddenly, oh, right now you're relating to God as God. And a person in that situation re- has really reconciled themselves to their identity. It's that, that moment with God um, has brought them face to face with who they really are, you know, and, and uh, you know, that, that moment of facing that, you know, I have completely failed to achieve these things. It's easier to, to let go when you face that failure than when you think you've succeeded, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so... You know, if you're listening, you feel like, oh, I feel like such a failure as a Christian. And you have an opportunity actually to take that to God and to recognize your absolute dependence on God. You know, let your achievements go and let God make you into something, right? For me, it's this wonderful moment of realizing, right, I can't do this. (laughs) I can't make myself into this person that I want to be. The real me has to emerge through this conversation with God, through this, like going right back to where I started, you know, that our relationship emerges for us in an experiential sense. I mean, we we have it already in God. I mean, it's already there, right? But we realize it as we communicate with God and He communicates with us and He starts then to build into us a sense of who we really are and we all have the opportunity to do that. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Thrive Perspectives. Our hope is that these discussions will challenge you to look at life from a new perspective. You'll find all our resources at the Thrive Today website, thrivetoday.tv. If there's a topic that you'd like us to discuss, please email us. Our email is contact at thrivetoday.tv. Until next time, our prayer is that you will thrive.